I'm actually I'm going to a concert tonight, and this uh, this is a good test of the the age gap between us. I will be yes. curious what you know, if anything, about the bands I'm I'm about to name. Uh, <laughs> the headliner is Extreme. Do you know anything about Extreme? Could you name their one crossover hit? I could not. I've heard of them, but okay. I could not. <laughs> so they're they're more than words. The uh, they're it's an acoustic ballad that is nothing like most of their music, but is their one hit. Uh, and then uh, the opening act is Living Color. Does that mean anything to you or no? No. no. <laughs> okay. The song Cult of Personality. Look it up when uh, okay. when when we're done here. But uh, okay, this we we have firmly established the age gap uh, and pop culture gap between the two of us. Indeed, indeed. No uh, Taylor Swift eras conversation. <laughs> no, well, my my wife and daughter did go to her show in Pittsburgh. Um, are 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 you on the on the Swift bandwagon? Are you part of that? Uh, I guess I would say I'm I'm just off the bandwagon, but uh, she grew up in Wyoming, where I lived for a while, so she's uh, she's got lots of fans and and maybe some detractors in in the small Pennsylvania town. <laughs> right. So what here? I guess here's the question: What would be your I would pay X number of dollars for a ticket, but wouldn't go above that. Where, where's your interest level? That's a good question. I think I would, given the experience, I've heard positive things about the experience. I'd say I'd, I'd do something like around 100, 150. After that, I think I'd have to have somebody else who had the tickets and supplied them for me to be in attendance. Oh, okay. So, so, so you would be the oh, you have an extra ticket that you're looking <laughs> to get rid of. Sure, I'll, I'll take that and buy you a drink or something. That's exactly me for the the Taylor Swift tour. She's got some some crazy fans ranging from all ages, which I think is what impresses me the most. She's got people who are like teenagers to to grown adults getting out there. Yep, and I ha- I have one of each in my family who went to see her. So there's your proof. Gamble on, fellas, gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined for a second consecutive week by a guest co-host. While my usual partner, Jeff Edelstein, enters the extremely depressing, it's almost time to come home portion of his vacation, my guest co-host this week is Sports Handle and US Bets Analyst, Bennett Conlin. And Bennett and I have some major news to discuss this week, as ESPN is getting into the sportsbook space. We'll also cover regulators taking a very close look at Pick'em games and some financial news shared by DraftKings. Plus, I'll talk NFL with professional better and Action Network podcaster Simon Hunter. But first, Bennett, great to have you here. Thanks for filling in. I'm counting on you to break up the usual old man energy with some youthful vibes. Yeah, thanks so much for for having me on. I feel like I love college sports so much. The uh, the new thing the young kids are doing, right, is just me reaching out to my mom and having her her gamble for me. So maybe that'll be the... <laughs> The way we break it up, break it up with some youthful vibes these days. To to be clear, you are of legal gambling age. You don't actually need to have your mom do it for you. That's exactly right. It would just okay. be an excessive little, you know, ode to <laughs> ode to the industry. Right. Fortunately, I can place my my own wagers, and and my mom in Florida cannot legally wager. Although I guess we'll see what happens <laughs> in coming months with that. But it's it's an interesting time for sure. And and let's get to the news. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. There is no question what the biggest news in the gambling industry is this week. On Tuesday afternoon, ESPN PR shared with the world that the worldwide leader will at long last launch an ESPN branded sports book, and it will partner with Penn Entertainment to do so. Until now, Penn has been operating Barstool Sportsbook, so that partnership is ending. Barstool Sportsbook will rebrand as ESPN Bet. Dave Portnoy is reclaiming full ownership of Barstool Sports, but will no longer have a sports betting operation. And ESPN Bet intends to launch around Thanksgiving. ESPN Bet will be in the 16 states where Barstool Sportsbook currently operates. Notably, New York is not one of those 16 states. There's a lot to discuss here from 
Barstool Sportsbook now joining the list of failed media sports betting ventures to the big topic on everyone's mind, whether ESPN bet will rise toward the top of the sportsbook rankings. And if so, when? Uh, Bennett, feel free to share your thoughts on any of the various subtopics at play here. But let's start with that biggie. Do you expect ESPN bet to challenge the likes of FanDuel and DraftKings? Yeah, it's an, an interesting topic, a great conversation. I think I'm skeptical of challenging FanDuel and DraftKings with, with ESPN bet. You look at a, a sports book, a Barstool sports book, that's right around like 5% market share uh, across the states it's in right now. Penn Entertainment was saying on its earnings call earlier this week that they'd like to go to 20% market share by 2027, which seems like a rather optimistic, um, I guess, projection yeah. from them. So I, I think I'm skeptical of that and competing with FanDuel and DraftKings that are both obviously pretty significant market share with FanDuel close to 50%, DraftKings more at 35%. It's going to be a challenge. I do think ESPN is a, a media entity that's credible enough and big enough that it's it's got a chance to be a successful venture compared to some of those other failures. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I'm, I'm not entirely sure at this point, if you can compete with the DraftKings or FanDuel just by just by working with ESPN. Yeah, um, you know, and I, I'm looking at you know the the brief history of these brands known for things other than gambling or fantasy sports uh, trying to get into this, and and it it's not great. Um, Foxbet got no traction at all, and. Barstool did okay, but obviously not well enough to last more than three years. Uh, we'll see about Fanatics. You know, a lot of people assume they'll be big, but nobody really knows. Um, you know, certainly comparisons between ESPN and Barstool and Fox are are flawed comparisons. ESPN is so much bigger of a brand in the sports world, and Barstool, I think, had its own unique limitations because a lot of people are so anti the brand. Um, so, so. You know, I don't know that there's a, anything close to a one-to-one comparison with other those other media brands, but like you, I, I see that that twenty percent number, and I am highly skeptical about anything like that. I'm I'm pretty skeptical in general about ESPN really contending with the big guns, mostly because they're so late to the game. Um, and and this is why I have some fanatic skepticism as well. You know, in all these states that have been up and running for three, four, five years. The betters mostly have their accounts already. Any new signups to ESPN bet will, to an extent, just be the bonus hunters. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I think ESPN is probably too big to totally fail, but too late to totally succeed. Uh, And Certainly, if if the goal is to hit 20% market share inside three years, I, I can't imagine how that's possible. It seems tough. And I think that I feel like a lot of industry experts had maybe anticipated that that customers would be more willing to have a bunch of apps where it feels like there's there's maybe more loyalty than some people previously expected where some people aren't line shopping and they're kind of okay with just using one or two apps for the most part so yeah. it, it's tough to to kind of break into that if people are already using FanDuel and DraftKings regularly and they've made some product enhancements with this the score bet tech stack which I think they're excited about but does that put you above FanDuel or DraftKings or does that give you a product that is is more comparable to them and if that's the case you've got to obviously lean into some some heavy marketing and, and you mentioned the November launch right so it's not even at the start of football season right, this year right. which um Penn Entertainment CEO Jay Stoden sort of spun us a positive saying that there's a lot of noise week one of football season I think they probably prefer to be in that noise but <laughs> yes. they're <laughs> they're saying they're they're okay with November, but it sounds tough if you're you know launching toward the end of football season. You're going to have sort of that whole lead up then to the 2024 football season where you're trying to acquire customers and put yourself in a position to to go from there. It's it's a tough spot to be in, even if it is such a, a major media brand. Yeah, I mean, I think we often see those first week or two of NFL season is is when the highest betting volume is because everyone's bankroll is flush. And then by November, some of those bankrolls have dwindled and some people are kind of winding down their their sports betting for the football season already. So yeah, they'll have to contend with that. Um, it, bringing up the, the score bet sort of thing is interesting just in that I think a lot of people are projecting that ESPN bet at some point ideally could somehow share an app with 
the ESPN scores and updates and all that sort of stuff. And if that day comes that, uh, and I don't know, you know, whether there are legal hurdles to that, uh, I think there may be sort of some um, content rights uh, ownership hurdles that, that may make that difficult. But if and when that happens, I suppose that could really help put ESPN bet on a on a playing field somewhat aligned with with DraftKings and FanDuel to have people who are just in their regular ESPN app being able to use it as a sports book as well um, but I don't know how far off that day is if that day is ever coming that that it's certainly you know that could be a game changer for for them if that day comes for sure I think the app integration's a, a big thing to monitor and then also interesting was Obviously, the market share projections, it's a 10-year deal, but it can be killed after three years if those market share goals aren't met or certain market share goals aren't met, which weren't specified. So that's another sort of interesting aspect of it is ESPN, if it gets to three years and this isn't working the way they thought, can just pull the plug on the whole thing. Yeah, uh, that's, that's I guess, the... Uh... The worst case scenario is that ESPN bet lasts as long as Barstool Sportsbook did, but that is that is the time frame that they've laid out for that possibility. Um, I'll just note that as soon as the deal was announced Tuesday, I got a text from a friend who works for a mainstream national news web network and, and doesn't necessarily follow our industry closely at all, but he said... Please explain to me how this Penn ESPN deal is not an enormous conflict of interest for ESPN. My response was basically that everything is a conflict of interest for everyone these days. You know, anyone working in sports media seems to have some degree of conflicts of interest. <laughs> but, um, but you know, his text message was just an interesting snapshot for me into how some outsiders may be viewing this news. Um, it, it is certainly a big leap from talking about sports odds on your various programs mm -hmm. to actually taking sports bets. And, and while it doesn't bother me in the least as someone in this industry, it occurs to me it may seem not so kosher to an outsider. Right. And it's, it's also, you know, you had all those conversations with with insiders in terms of the drafts and sort of their reporting and if they're sponsored right. or working with a sports book. So now if you have Adam Schefter, I'm sure there'll be sort of increased scrutiny on, on his coverage and what it does. I imagine they'll try to keep some separation there between uh, those insiders and, and betting, but it's, it's certainly one that's when you're covering, you know, the news so much and you're covering stuff that can change the, the betting markets, what's sort of the, the influence or backing of, of those journalists who are reporting on it. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I would if I were advising ESPN bet, I might tell them in whatever states you're in, don't bother offering draft markets. It's probably not worth the, right. the conflict of interest there. Um, all right. Well, I suspect this is a story that we'll be covering on Gamble on with regularity in the weeks ahead. And there are a million subtopics that we didn't get to. And uh, so we'll just save some of them for future discussion after we've, uh, I think, did a solid job hitting all the basics here today. Um, our next story is a related one and probably one we can devote a little less time to, but it's also about a big name sports book and its profitability. The sports book is DraftKings and the profitability angle is, well, DraftKings claims to be profitable, finally, after all these years. On the company earnings call Friday, CEO Jason Robbins gushed about positive adjusted EBITDA for the second quarter of 2023, the first time it has achieved that since the company went public in 2020. The figures for the second quarter are revenue of nearly $875 million, more than $100 million above expectations, and adjusted EBITDA of about $73 million compared to negative $118 million a year earlier, Robbins expressed optimism that adjusted EBITDA would be, quote, meaningfully positive for the full 2024 year, although the expectation is that it will actually be negative in this third quarter that we're in now. So there's still plenty of skepticism to go around, and of course, these earnings calls always feature positive spins to make investors happy. Bennett, any thoughts on whether DraftKings has turned a corner and on whether higher sportsbook holds and reduced promotional spends mean the whole industry is headed in the right direction? I think there's there's sort of both sides to it where I do think it's it's a positive for DraftKings. I think you look at uh, BetMGM, Caesars, Rush Street, a bunch of others had profitable mm -hmm. quarters as well. So there's some some positives there for the industry. There's some positives there for the the companies themselves. I think the part that's that's interesting to see where it goes is that I feel like there's this big reliance on single game parlays to to kind of get you there with that higher hold. So there's there's a lot of reliance on on those, which I don't know if you're 
a longtime customer or maybe a responsible gambling expert if you're thrilled about sort of that reliance on marketing and pushing out the best single game parlays, which obviously lose at a, a pretty significant rate. So I think that's certainly an area to monitor is, is how companies battle with those. And then as companies really compete in terms of product, I feel like every time uh, there's an earnings call this quarter, their various operators are talking about product improvements. And, and with that focus, I'm curious to see sort of how those single game parlays and other aspects develop, because it seems like that's where uh, the operators are really competing is who can have the best sort of parlay product. Yeah, that those parlays and that hold, that's certainly central to all these conversations at this point. I, I mean, my inference is that for DraftKings, promotional spend will go up again during football season, and, and that that's probably why they're not expecting to be profitable necessarily the rest of this year, that they'll get back into investing heavily in courting customers. Um, I don't know. That's that's just kind of me guessing. But uh, certainly that, yeah, they had a 10% hold in Q2 and that helped. Um, yeah, the question is, is, is that something DraftKings and other sports books can maintain? People love the parlays. People lose at like 17% instead of 7% on the parlays. As long as the bankrolls don't dry up and, and the customers don't give up, I guess that 10%-ish overall hold can probably be maintained. But um, yeah, that's that's the big question mark. And um, you know, I, I, I think what we'll likely see is more operators reporting profitability more regularly going forward. As you said, BetMGM, mm-hmm. Caesars, Rush Street, they all were profitable in Q2. But at the same time, the number of operators will keep shrinking as the profitable ones survive, which I guess I would say it's all kind of bad news for customers that, you know, we're looking at a future with fewer sports books to choose from and the sports books that are around are all beating you, basically. <laughs> Certainly what it looks like. And then there's obviously some that are, I guess, you look at ESPN bet trying to get in the mix. Fanatics will try to get in there and then. I'm curious with some some other maybe innovative companies. I know Underdog, which which Jeff loves, has has kind of cited um, the the sports book that's coming soon. They've teased it at least, right? In terms of, of something, is that something that'll catch on with customers? Can't imagine that getting a, a massive market share. But it's it's interesting to see sort of if you're a customer, what it looks like, and if you're kind of just gonna go to these apps, and if you're a winner, maybe you're limited, and if you play a lot of parlays, you'll uh, <laughs> maybe have an entertaining time. Right. All right. Well, you provided a nice uh, transition there to our third story, which is a closer look at Pick'em Games. And one of the companies involved is the one you just mentioned, Underdog. Uh, Regulators all over the country are taking a closer look at these Pick'em Games uh, lately. Uh, The most prominent operators are Underdog and Prize Picks. And while they have other offerings, uh, Jeff Edelstein is obsessed with Underdog's Best Ball Fantasy, for example, The Pick'em games are specifically being scrutinized because they've been labeled as fantasy, but some view them as more akin to a form of sports betting. Um, For those who don't know, a Pick'em game involves the customer choosing over or under for a collection of player stat lines. The more picks you make, the higher the payout, if you're on the winning side. It's done against the house, so some say it's just parlay betting, while others say it's like building a DFS lineup, choosing whom to play and whom to fade. That's certainly how prize picks and underdog have framed it, as they've sought to operate in all the same states where DFS is allowed. But in recent weeks, numerous states have placed these operators in their crosshairs. Uh, Wyoming, Maine, New York, and Michigan are all, to varying degrees, questioning or objecting to the legality, while in Alabama, operators were asked to change the parameters. We've heard the old skill game debate crop up, just as it has over the years for poker and for DFS. It's all very complicated. Uh, Bennett, I know you spoke to some industry analysts this week about the topic, any feedback that got your attention as you were reporting on this? I think it would be the range of answers from legal experts in mm-hmm. terms of you talk to one lawyer and they believe that it's, you know, an illegal sports betting activity where it's unlicensed uh, in a state and it should be considered illegal sports betting. And then you talk to another lawyer who is very confident that it's fantasy sports. So it, like you mentioned, it's it's a complicated topic and one that I think has a bit of a gray area. And, and sort of the one area that really stands out as not being a gray area um, is that the regulators are paying attention to it. Yes. So kind of regardless of, of the debate, 
And regardless of, of who's leading the debate, which I think is something that underdog really pushed back toward uh, earlier this week, their CEO, Jeremy Levine, uh, released an open letter. He had some, some fiery quotes in there. He had one that said that DraftKings and FanDuel are waging a campaign in back rooms across the country using their deep pockets and political muscle to try to influence government officials and exerting their market power to influence our business partners. Hmm. So uh, a fiery quote from him, I think that's an interesting topic for sure. But regardless of whether DraftKings and FanDuel are are pushing for regulatory pressure, it's happening. So you have more regulators taking a look at this. Massachusetts uh, said earlier this week they're going to take a closer look at it as well. So if you're an underdog or a prize picks or whoever, certainly I think you've got to maybe feel a little bit threatened in terms of your current offerings. Yeah. Now I'll, I'll go ahead and be the billionth person to note the irony of DraftKings and FanDuel <laughs> trying to argue that the Pick'em sites are exploiting a questionable legal loophole. Funny how uh, that comes around. Um, the, the whole game of skill thing is, is so hazy. Um, I started covering poker in 2005 and all the way back to then, if not well before then, it, it was a constant point of debate, game of skill or game of luck. And of course, the answer is both. But uh, in the long term, undoubtedly, skill prevails. The the best players will come out ahead and the worst players will come out behind. That isn't true in, say, roulette, where everyone will come out behind if they play long enough, you know, as long as they aren't exploiting a defective wheel or something. Um, I guess with pick'em games, there is some skill involved, but that's true of traditional sports betting also. It's all a gamble where you can improve your chances by making good decisions. And I mean, I, I guess you could say that about blackjack too. So again, it's, it's all very hazy uh, when, when you're having this skill versus luck debate, but yeah, I, I'll just be very interested to see where this goes. Um, I think signs are pointing toward these pick'em games being disallowed in at least some of these States, um, unless the operator has a sports betting license in that state. And then, you can offer it, but I guess it'll get taxed like sports betting. I'm guessing that it's going to land there in some jurisdictions. I would assume the key state for prize picks and underdog is California. Uh, they're, they're both permitted there. Sports betting is not currently permitted there. If they should lose California, that feels like a potential backbreaker for pick'em games. That'd be a big one for sure. And, and yeah, I kind of agree with you. I think some jurisdictions are going to sort of take aim at it and I guess in fairness to some of the, the regulators, the pick'em games definitely look like just a standard parlay bet at times. So I can, I can see where that um, discussion comes up, where it, it looks like that. Um, and then I guess to, to underdogs side or prize pick side, um, it would make sense and doesn't seem like a stretch to say that, right, DraftKings and FanDuel are, are maybe pushing for this. Um, and, and so I think there's sort of truth lies in between both sides there where it certainly looks a little bit more like sports betting than a traditional uh, daily fantasy game. Um, and then, yeah, certainly I think the big operators have some influence in this space that maybe they're wielding a bit. Yeah. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. I am pleased now to welcome to the podcast a professional better a podcaster, and most importantly, a Philadelphia sports fan. He is Chad Millman's companion and compadre on the Favorites podcast via our friends at the Action Network, and he specializes particularly in wagering on a little league called the NFL, which is closing in on the start of another season. He is Simon Hunter. Simon, welcome to Gamble On. Great to be here, Eric. So before we get into any betting talk, um, I don't get to talk often on this podcast with a fellow Philly sports fan. It's been more than seven months since the Super Bowl. I'm still not over the holding call. I'm still complaining about it. Are you over it? And if so, any advice on how I can get over it? <laughs> no, I'm not over it. I um, I try not to complain about it too much. I think anyone around me is getting sick of it, especially <laughs> if I have a couple of drinks in me. That's really when it comes back. Like if I have a couple of drinks in me, it really creeps up. Where I just, you know, it just it's over, always hanging over your head just because. I mean, you know how it is. That first Super Bowl, honestly, I I don't have kids and I've never been married. So to me, that's that's as good as it gets in my life. Like that was, you know, I was I was living in Philly at the time, partying on Broad Street. Um, so this was right before they legalized it in Jersey. Right. So I basically had one huge 
on offshore books and in Vegas and, you know, was living the highlight just because not only did I bet on my favorite team, they were a six point underdog. So right. it was one of those as professional. It was like, it don't get much better than this. It really, it really didn't where when the Eagles made this run, not that I was expected because we didn't expect it with Nick Foles, right? That was kind of the fun part of it. Right. It was like, he didn't wake up until, I want to say after that pick six, right? We got that pick six against the Vikings, and right. they took a couple deep shots. I think it was Torrey Smith. He had this crazy flea flicker deep shot, too, where that's where got the ball rolling. Where Jalen Hurts, it was week one on. Like, it was really every week I got more confident in that team. That's what hurt more, right? It was like we were we were there to watch the whole thing play out and grow, and I think you nailed it where it's like, they didn't call it all game and they called it on that last that last third down, that hold. And you know, I think I think any NFL fan knows you need a lot of luck to get to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really feel like we used any of our luck last year. So I'm I'm really optimistic this year heading into the season where we beat the Giants, what was it, 37 to 7? And I think we beat the right. 49ers 37 to 7. It's like, okay, even if we regress, right? We lose a couple of defenders, we we regress. Say we give up 14 more points, we're still cruising, right? So um, yeah, I'm definitely very optimistic heading into the season, but it hurts, man. There, there's just not a, there's not a time where it doesn't cross your mind, especially I don't know if you watch that quarterbacks on Netflix. I, I did. And they conveniently ignored the fact that there was a, a possibility <laughs> that the holding shouldn't have been called there. I was upset they didn't show. I would love to know what was going on at halftime. Like, that's mm. what I was really hoping they were going to show, because, you know, you're an Eagles fan. You've seen it. Andy Reid is a, an incredible adjuster, and he clearly he outcoached Sirianni that second half. He made the adjustments. Right. I would have loved to have just seen how Mahomes and all those guys were in that locker room because, you know, they were down 10. They were down 10 at half. Right. It, that's what's so brutal, man. We, we were right there. And it was a couple a couple little things happened. That's just how football is. It's, it's a true never-ending chess match. And that's what Belichick, one of the greatest coaches ever, was so great at. Like, he was so great at, he's not trying to beat you. He's trying to beat the clock. And he knew if he had Tom Brady, whoever had the ball last right. was going to win. And that's really what I feel like Andy Reid did there with Mahomes. It's like, all right, you guys tied it up. Now we have the ball back, and we just have to kill five minutes off the clock. And that's what Mahomes did. So clearly right. you can tell I am still not over it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, and and I mean, that's that's the perfect description of it is the killing the clock. They should have killed all but about a minute and a half, and and we and you know we would have known. <laughs> yeah. We would have been fascinating to see whether Jalen Hurts could have led a a game winning or game tying drive or not. But I guess we'll just never know. Never know. Um, <laughs> so uh, so preseason is, is here. Uh, we had the the Hall of Fame game last week. Uh, most teams get started this week. As a professional better who works with a group. Um, Give me a sense of how a preseason week looks in terms of bankroll allocation relative to a regular season week. And, you know, you don't you don't need to use dollar amounts. But, you know, if if NFL week one is going to see you risk 100 widgets across 16 games, how, yeah. how many widgets are you risking in preseason week one? All depends, right? It all depends on picking your spots and, and all the information coming in and out where, you know, I, I think news broke yesterday, the, the day before that the Broncos were going to play a series or two or, or do f- something like that. The starters were going to play. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. If you're, if you're betting the Broncos, that means you're now you have a position to take, right? You know, you're going to take the Broncos first half. So there's always different news and information coming out. So yeah, this is, I would say last week was kind of still like off season mode. And now it's really ramped up where, you know, most days I'm working 12 to 14 hour days. And it's just information, 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 watching film, and you're just sorting through a lot of the BS. So to me, if you're a novice better, I wouldn't tap too much into your bankroll. If you're if you're betting ten dollars on a regular season game, I'd bet maybe a dollar on mm. preseason game, right? Because that's just you got an itch and you want to scratch it, go for it, but don't go crazy, right? I'd rather have you allocate your money into the future market or some other thing where preseason for professionals is really nice. Like I if I get the right information from sources I trust. I will hit all 20 sports books in Jersey. Then I'll mm-hmm. cruise over to PA. I'll hit seven to eight sports books there. And then I'll head up to New York and I'll hit another three, four sports books up there. Like you can't get that much money down, but there's so many different books now in the tri state area. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really able to take advantage of a lot of that stuff. So to me, you know, that Browns Jets game, that'll be my smallest bet of the year. I think I in total I had $200 on the Browns. Like, 
that is nothing to me. Like that doesn't even factor in at all. It was just one of those where, you know, it was opening night. I wanted action on right. it. I, I took what I believed in to be a better, better quarterback that I knew was going to play in the second half. And I got lucky where the Jets second half, they flamed out. That kid from UCLA came in and played really well for his first uh, start for that Browns team. So, you know, it's, it's tough to say with people I, like people always like they're like, oh, you got to be a degenerate to bet on preseason. You really don't have to be if there is good information. You and you like, you know, I do podcasts. If I, if I have a really good info, I'll give out that pick on the show. If not, I won't say anything. I'm not here to force any type of bets in preseason. Right. So it is one of those where. I, I tell people if you have one hundred dollars going into the season, that's your bankroll. Man, I, I might not bet more than five dollars total on preseason just because the information is just not as good during the regular season, it's so much better. But right. um, you know, to me, I try to tell people it's I get it. We're all we're all itching for football and something I bet on. Just ease into it, right? We got college right. football week zero in a couple of weeks. It's like it's all gonna be here. You don't need to force everything in this opening week of preseason where it's like half of us don't even know who the starters are gonna be. Some teams you never know. The only thing I can really guarantee is that when coaches say they're playing the starters, it's really depends on what they're talking about there. If they say, well, we're just going to give them one drive or they're going to play first quarter, that's important information. So um, to me, people, social media is your biggest weapon right now. Get on Twitter, find what the B writers are talking about, see what they're saying. Those are the people that are locked in. So that's literally, that's pretty much most what I'm doing right now is I'm just really taking in a ton of information just because, I mean, you know, it is you work in media. A lot of these people that work for certain teams are just, you know, they're telling you how great everything is, right? They're not going to say anything bad. Some guys will tell you how it really is. And those are the important people to find and follow where that's the good information. Those aren't the guys working for the team. They're independent working for different newspapers or different online websites. So to me, that is a big deal here in preseason. So you're still calling it Twitter, huh? You haven't uh, changed and called it X uh, like Elon (laughs) wants you to? No, it's it's like calling the commanders. I still call them the, the, the football team. It's just like right. I can't do it. So um, I probably will start calling it X, but it is weird as hell to say. Yeah, we'll we'll get there eventually. But it, right, it's a hard habit to break. Um, so uh, looking looking toward the the regular season and the postseason and, and the whole future scene, is is there a particular team that you've been hammering hard this off season for for Super Bowl or or conference or, or division? Ba- basically, who's like one or two of the most undervalued teams in your opinion as the season approaches? Yeah, it's tough. Like I would say, right when right when everything opened, like February, that's when I really like the week after the Super Bowl is my it's my favorite time because the the books want to take your money right because now they're like oh great someone's going to come here and they're going to give us money for the next year like we right. can go do whatever the hell we want with this money yeah come bet whatever line you want and most books will limit you to a thousand bucks right for futures but basically like right when my season ends i head to vegas to meet with all these guys i work with and we basically just celebrate the end of the season and everything like that so first stop i always make a circa if you don't know what circa sportsbook is it's it's a book that pretty much the guys running it are just cool. Like they'll yeah. take any type of bets. They'll work with you too. Where if you've beaten them pretty bad, they might limit you a little bit, but they're pretty pretty open to take a position on certain lines. So they actually opened the Bears at 101. Mm. That was one of the first bets I made. Where okay, I have a Bears team that we know they have a great athlete at quarterback, and then they have the number one pick. So to me, and they had a ton of cap space. So it's kind of the same thing where I did the Jaguars a year before, where the Jaguars. They had Trevor Lawrence at the quarterback position. They had a new coach coming in, and they had a bunch of cap space. And I figured, you know what? They'll be able to maybe make a little bit of a run here and be able to get in the playoffs. And that's what they did. And then I was able to hedge out my position on them. Same feeling with the Bears here, where it's like, do I think the Bears are actually going to win the Super Bowl this year? No. No, I do not. I still think the Eagles are still a step ahead of them. still think the 49ers are ahead of them. Even in their own division, I put them a little bit behind the lines. Okay. But – at 101, 80 to 1, that was great value. Now you can still get them at books at 60 to 1, 50 to 1. Right. I still think there's value there. So I still think the Bears are a good bet. Now, last year, last year was very boring, right? We had both one seeds win their conferences and then play in the Super Bowl, right? Right. Year before that, we had two four seeds. That there's a nice little medium in between that where that's what the NFL is, right? It's the best teams usually don't make it because you need a lot of luck in the playoffs to even make it to a Super Bowl. I mean, just think of the Eagles, right? The Eagles had a break right where they had two home games against 
Daniel Jones at home. They smoked him. And then they had the next home game against a rookie quarterback, which before that game in championship games, rookie quarterbacks, they were 0-4. Right. So now they're 0-5. So that was kind of an easy little layer for the Eagles team where the Chiefs, you go back and look, I think a lot of things had to bounce their way, right? Chad Henney had to come in and drive 98 yards against the Jaguars to give them a nice little lead that whatever they won by, I think they won by a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's their next game, they had a weird little um, call against the Bengals where I think Mahomes got pushed out of bounds. Right. They moved it up another 15 yards. And they were able to kick a field goal and win that game by three. And then the Eagles, they won that game by three, the Chiefs. So the, the Chiefs won every game by one possession. The year before that, the Rams, if you go back and look, they won every playoff game by one possession. So that's what we're dealing here with football, where I tell people, you might make these bets, and you're like, this has no chance. It always does. That's the beauty of football. It's like most of these games are going to be one-score games. So that's a long-winded way of saying the Bears, they have the upside. The NFC, That I mean, I'm going to talk about another NFC that's where all the, the upside is this year, the NFC. The AFC is – we've never seen anything like this in, in, in football with how many good quarterbacks are in the AFC. It's just – it's crazy. Like, we literally right. have never seen anything like it. So, the NFC, to me, is wide open. That's where I found a lot of value. And my next favorite team to bet – I haven't put a lot on Super Bowl, but I have invested in them for division odds at 10-1 to 1, is the Rams. So, the Los Angeles mm-hmm. Rams are left for dead. The public has left for them for dead. Most talking heads have left them for dead just because of what? They have a very bad young defense, right? They've lost a lot of starters. That's that's a big deal, right? You, like they, they moved Ramsey. He went to Miami. I know he's hurt, but, you know, that was one of those where they moved them just because there was no real reason to keep them around, right? They were going to be in rebuild mode. Now, I don't think they understood that. You know, Stafford going to come back as healthy as he is, right? Apparently, this is the best he felt even going into that Super Bowl year. Hmm. He's talking about his whole body feels right. Now we have the Cooper Cup injury, right? Cooper Cup came up limp yesterday or two days ago with a hamstring. Apparently, he's good, right? He's already back at practice, practicing. That's a big deal if you're someone like me betting on this team. So the whole whole play here for this Rams team is they're just being undervalued. Do I really think they're going to win this division? No. I still have a higher grade on the 49ers and – the Seahawks, but the people who did the schedule did them a huge favor and betters like me, a big favor. They start the season at Seattle week one, right? That's a big deal. And then they come home and play the 49ers. So right there, if it just breaks right and they can go two and zero to start the year, we got 10 to one odds that will drop easily down to 300 to one right. or three to one, I should say. One, so yeah. to me, that's just all about taking positions where, do I still think the 49ers are the best team in this division? Of course. They, I think what they have eight, nine guys in the top 100. They're incredible. So right. I'm not here to bash the 49ers or Brock Purdy or anything like that, but it's just all about opportunity and value. And that's where the value is. The, the, the public has left the Rams for dead. And that's really where I love to buy in on teams. I love veteran quarterbacks coming off a down year. It's just historically has been very well to me. So the books moving this 10 to one is, I just think is a gift. So to me, this is a play of I'm going to take the Rams. If I get lucky and the 49ers start 0-2, right, they lose to Pittsburgh week one, and they they come to L.A. and they lose to the Rams, start 0-2 after two road games, I'll come back in on the on the 49ers, and I'll have a nice little hedge there where the only team that's going to ruin my season would be the Seahawks, Seahawks winning this division, right. which you talk to most professionals, they see regression in Geno. That's just – the way the league is, right? You get a year as a starter, the book is out now. They've had six months to prepare for your style of offense and how Geno wants to play. So whatever strength or whatever you saw from Geno last year, defenses will attack that this upcoming season. They'll they'll try to take that away and put him in a comfortable situation. So that's what I'm really betting on this upcoming year for this division is regression for Geno. Even if they go nine and eight, that's a good year for this the Seahawks team, right? Like just because last year they made the playoffs, the expectations are higher. But in actuality, nine and eight, that's a good year for the Seahawks. Where the team I need to have a step down is the 49ers. Like I need Brock Purdy to be rusty, whatever the case may be. People projecting him out to 12, 13 wins. That's literally as if everything is going to go perfect for you. Like where Brock Purdy right. stepped in and what he went eight straight games. Right. That doesn't happen. That just does not happen in football. So um, I'm betting on a regression of the 49ers. And this Seahawks, and I'm taking a Rams team that their win total is six and a half. They had six wins last year. This Rams team had mm. six wins last year with Baker Mayfield and a bunch of other junk thrown in there at the quarterback position. So 
you gave me a healthy Stafford and a Sean McVay offense, we've seen what can happen, right? That the year they made that Super Bowl run two years ago, they won the division. So right. I, I have to take the value on the seal, uh, this Rams team at this point, just because it's all there. It's all about, you know, managing your bankroll and hedging out at the right opportunity. So like, do I really think the Rams are in this division? Most likely not, but we're just playing the numbers, right? And that's what right. we're looking for when I'm, when I'm betting these big numbers. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to find better pedigree at the coach and quarterback position than than what they have. So at ten yeah, to one, at, at ten to one, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's um, one of those. It feels like I don't have a choice. Like I have to make this bet. <laughs> right. All right. So last topic that I want to hit on is uh, league MVP betting. I know that you like ideally to focus on a long shot, typically a second year, or third year quarterback yeah. who could make a leap like Hertz or Lawrence last year. And of course, you know, Mahomes and Lamar a few years ago, yeah. they each won as big numbers, were like, I think 50 to one. Right. But coming into this year, I can't help but feel like the favorite Mahomes is maybe a little undervalued at prices as high as like plus 700. And my thinking is, you know, barring some career altering injury, of course, that over the next five years, the guy is going to win another MVP, maybe two of them. So if you can get him at plus 700, you should be betting him every year and you'll come out ahead, maybe way ahead after five years. Is that good logic or is that flawed logic? So a lot of it goes into like playing the number, right? I think I feel like I see what you're saying here, but it's also one of those where it's peak value. He's coming off Super Bowl MVP. And last year, he got really lucky with his division. I don't think his division would be as bad as last year. Like, I do think the Broncos, which is another team we didn't even touch on, that's another team I'm Ben heavy on this upcoming season where I really do think Sean Payton's that guy. I think he right. is that good of a coach. And whatever's left of Russell Wilson, whatever talent he has left, he will squeeze every little ounce out of that talent in the next two years. Like, that to me is a guarantee where Drew Brees, he was incredible, right? Everyone remembers him on the Chargers. He had major weaknesses, and that's why the Chargers were like, okay, we'll move on. We'll draft a quarterback this upcoming season. And then he got hurt, and that was just another reason to cut him, right? So Drew Brees, for all of his greatness and being a Hall of Famer, he did have some weaknesses, but Sean Payton maximized his strength. And that's what right. I think he'll do again with Russell and this Broncos team. So the Chargers all as well. Chargers got new O.C., they're going to be way more attacking downfield. I think that's going to be a huge upgrade for this Chargers team. So basically, you're looking at a Chiefs team that I think they have seven straight years of winning this division. So they won it with Mahomes, and they won it with Alex Smith, which is just crazy right. to think. There was no drop-off. Um, I'm betting on this year to be the drop-off year. I think mm -hmm. that that was incredible what they did last year. I think they were very fortunate with a lot of health stuff, where this upcoming season – they're they're reshuffling that offensive line. I think that is a big deal, right? They're like they're, they're they lost both their tackles. Now, you know, we're talking about Mahomes, the one of the best quarterbacks we've ever seen do it. Right. If anyone can overcome a bad old line, it's him. So I, I get where you're coming from, MVP. But you talked about off top head. I, I just go for the long shots. If I'm gonna lock my money up for seven, eight months, nine months, I want it to be a crazy long odd. So for me, it's already been bet down too much. I wouldn't touch Fields. Fields was a really okay. nice candidate. The fantasy community, everyone's just been talking about him now for three months. That value right. is gone. Trevor right. Lawrence, another guy who I do like, instead of betting his MVP odds, I would bet them to be the number ones that have the number one record in football. Like mm -hmm. that's what I did last year with the Eagles. The Hurts MVP odds moved too much. So I just bet them to have the best record in football at 35 to one. They end up getting that. Um, obviously, I think they end up 14 and three. 14, yeah. Um, that's one of those where they open a, they're at 35 to one, I should say, August 4th. And then by September 1st, the Eagles were down 10 to 1 to have the number one. Wow. So the pros will hit these numbers. They're going to be moving. So I do like the Jaguars. They have an easy schedule. They play in a division with two rookies starting this year. There's just a lot of upside to betting them to be the number one seed. Um, another MVP long shot that I know a lot of pros are betting that I haven't touched is Brock Purdy at 75 mm -hmm. to 1. I get where they're coming from. I'm just worried that it's still – I still don't know if he is the guy. Like, they invested technically three first-round picks into Trey Lance. And was it his fault that he broke his leg in week two? No. Like, he played in a tsunami in week one and then broke his leg in week two. So that's my big pause there, the bread that Brock Purdy. But I do I do love those odds. You're getting arguably one of the best offenses in all of football 
quarterback is 75 to one. You just, you won't find those odds on any other quarterback in these MVP races. So um, if I'm going chalk, boring pick, I'm going to go with uh, Josh Allen. I'm, I'm actually one of those people I've, I've, I've come around on the bills. I thought last year showed me a lot about their character. Like I couldn't believe they ended up winning that division um, just because you could tell something was wrong with Josh Allen midway through the yeah. season. Something happened to his elbow. And even he talked about it. his, his throwing motion, everything that's changed. He was clearly dealing with a major injury and Gabe Davis rolled his ankle like week one. So he was playing with a bum ankle the whole season. So, you know, they got the kid cook at running back Diggs, Davis. I mean, the tight end they, they took looks like a stud. It should all be there. So for me at MVP odds, I, I, if I'm going chalky, I've actually taken a little bit on Josh Allen here. Okay, but there's no long shots really left at good numbers at this point. It was it was hop on Justin Fields four months ago or something, but but at this point there's not much out there. Just because it's it's the AFC quarterback group is that good. It yeah. kind of ruins all of it where it's like, you know, if there was a Hertz type out there, right? If we had a guy stepping in year two, year three into an offense and we know it was gonna be really explosive, yeah, forty to one. We love those odds, but Fields, he's like eighteen to one. It's what's like what why would you make that bet? That's a dumb bet to make just because not only do you need the kid to be a top one or two seed, you need him to be better than all these quarterbacks we just mentioned in the AFC, which is just on paper is unlikely, right? We just know that historically it's really hard to have those type of numbers in your first real year, right? Like I threw out last year for fields, even though I know, I think his career record's five and 20. I don't put too much weight into last year where this year, this is the real deal, right? He's got all these weapons across the board. This should be a big step for Fields. I still don't think he's going to catch a guy like Hertz, who's in another year in this comfortable offense where they don't lose anything. Like they, right. you could say they lost a running back. That's irrelevant, right? They replaced him with Swift and Penny. Like it's like they they filled that void. So um, I would still not take that just because the number is not good. It's just I need I need better odds, and the books just aren't giving it to you on these MVPs right now. Right. All right. Fantastic stuff. I am. As soon as we hang up on this call, I'm going to go uh, put the kids college money on the Rams to win the uh, NFC West. Uh, <laughs> maybe not, but a small sprinkle, a small, yeah, a small a little, sprinkle a sprinkle. of money I can afford to lose. We'll uh, throw on, on that. Uh, great talking to you, Simon. Uh, let all our listeners know you can follow him at Twitter or X or whatever you call it at Simon Hunter NFL. Uh, listen to him on the favorites and uh, find his picks in the action app. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Simon. Thanks, brother. Two men, $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Let's update our betting bankroll. And since all that guest co-host Adam Small did last week was place futures bets, None of his bets are graded, and so the only updates are on my bets from last week. Um, and in a mild plot twist, I lost on boxing and won on everything else. Uh, I took a parlay of Jake Paul and Amanda Serrano, both to win by KO, TKO, or DQ at plus 225. They both won, but neither one of them scored a knockout, so that's a loss of $60. And boy, was I wrong with my plus 180 underdog bet on Eridson Garcia. He got knocked out by a single left hook in the first round. Uh, we lost another $50 on that. On the bright side, my first five innings over bet on Pirates Brewers last Thursday was an easy winner. We profit $100. And I wish I'd gone a little bigger on the Hall of Fame game. I took a shot on a plus 750 prop on the Jets to lead at halftime, but the Browns to win the game. Somehow it hit, uh, but I only risked $20. Uh, still, you know, I'll collect that $150 profit. For the week, the bankroll bets won $140. So we're now down by $2,183, none of which I blame you for, Bennett. Uh, you are not responsible for any of our bankroll losses to this point. Uh, in addition to being down $2,183, we also have $2,040 on hold in futures bets. And that leaves us with $5,777 available to bet with this week guest hosts get to spend fake bankroll money too so uh you're about to be held responsible for some of our wins or losses bennett you are up first with uh, your first bet of this week fair enough thank you for the uh, generosity on fake bankroll and <laughs> and shout out to the hall of fame game bet i know adam seemed a little skeptical last week of, of that one I, even i was skeptical as i placed it <laughs> yeah. it was kind of a flyer but it, it did hit 
I, I love that. I think for me, I've got a few. I sort of stole a little bit of of Adam's logic, where if you place some some bets that don't cash here in the immediate <laughs> future, some futures, you won't get blamed on a recent podcast. Okay. So I, I like that logic from him. I've got Rory McIlroy to win the FedEx Cup. So that's it at plus 550. The FedEx Cup playoffs are starting this week. Uh, it's a three-event playoff, I believe. And then the FedEx Cup, for those of you who aren't PGA Tour dorks, uh, <laughs> that, that final event, they start, 30 players make the final event qualify for it. Rory should be well within that 30. And then based on where they are in the top 30, they start a certain amount under par. So they have an advantage going into that, and then they play the tournament from there. I would expect him to be kind of in that top three or five, depending on how the next couple of weeks shake out. So it's a $50 wager to win 275 His last seven starts, he's been in the top 10 in all of them, including a win. And he won the FedEx Cup last year. He's won it three times in his career. So he's got longer odds than Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm. But I think he's he's a, a very solid bet to get it done again. All right. Uh, for my first bet this week, you know, I sometimes steal bets or bet ideas from others, but when I do, I steal from the best. Uh, so my first bet this week is lifted from our colleague Gary Rothstein's U.S. Bets article, spotting some pricing inconsistencies on NFL player prop futures. Uh, so this, too, will be one that won't be graded for a while. Uh, we won't know whether I've cost us money or won us money. Um, Jeff and I discussed with interview guest Brad Feinberg a few weeks ago how the sports books have gotten smarter about these season long pre- player props that they're putting all the lines lower this year. So it's harder to just take all the unders and come out ahead because football players get injured so often. Um, but there's still one under that I do really like it's Mike Evans receptions. As Gary notes, some books have the line at 60 and a half or 61 and a half, but DraftKings is considerably higher at 65 and a half. There is minus 120 juice, but to me, that's not prohibitive. Uh, now, Evans has never had fewer than 67 catches in a season. Uh, the last four years, it's 67, 70, 74, and 77. So he would have hit the over on this number any of those years. He's also had uh, really good injury luck, though. Uh, he's played at least 15 games in every season of his career except for one. And in that one, he played 13 games. He turns 30 this month. Uh, Injury luck doesn't usually last forever. He should be at an age where he's starting to slow down. And perhaps more importantly, he doesn't have Tom Brady throwing to him anymore. He'll have Baker Mayfield and or Kyle Trask. Um, There's a chance the Bucs are out of the playoff hunt with several games to go and they start shutting down their veterans. Not to mention Evans will still be competing with Chris Godwin for targets. He's probably the number two wideout in this offense. So the way I see it, lots of paths to the under here. I think it's worth the minus 120 juice. And I always like to bet more on a season-long bet to make it sort of worth the extended sweat that goes into it. So I'm going to go with 240 bankroll dollars to win 200 under 65 and a half receptions for Mike Evans. I love that one. That was a, a great article from Gary that had a bunch of research into that to, to come up with some good ones. I've, I'm sticking with football, but I'll go with college here. I've got Texas, the Texas Longhorns, to win the national championship. So a little bit of a long shot here. Mm-hmm. Plus $2,500 on FanDuel, $20 to win $500. Uh, my logic here is that Texas returns its starting quarterback in Quinn Ewers. They return its entire starting offensive line. Uh, they have really good skill players. The defensive line should be solid. And last year they went eight and five with a two and five record in one possession game. So all mm-hmm. five losses were by one possession, including a one-point loss to Alabama. So they've got Alabama again this year on the road in Week 2, which will be a major game. If they can get that one early in the season, I think this one has a a great chance. And if they don't get that one, they still have a solid chance to go through the Big 12 schedule uh, undefeated, or maybe even with one loss if they play really well. Potentially some chaos there. A two-loss team gets in the playoff. You never know. So I like their chances. I think they're close to... uh, returning to their their former selves and being a national contender. I was hoping you would play some sort of college football bet because I don't really follow it and Jeff doesn't really follow it. And so we never have any bankroll bets on it. So this is good. This gives us something to keep track of and sweat throughout the college football season. So that was 25 bucks at, at 
plus twenty five hundred? Was that uh, That's, the number uh, there? Just just twenty, but it, oh, uh, twenty five hundred. Okay. So twenty dollars, and you'll get five hundred if it if it cashes. All right, I like it. Um, I have a couple of boxing bets this week, and I'll make them quick because there's almost no chance anyone in our audience has heard of any of these guys. Um, on Showtime Saturday night. Gabriel Maestre versus Trayvon Marshall looked to me like a 50-50 kind of fight. I was shocked to see Maestre at plus 450 at DraftKings. The more I thought about it, the more I can understand Marshall being the favorite, being more likely to win. But I still think it's close. Marshall is seriously inexperienced and untested, and it's just way too big a number on Maestre. So let's sprinkle 30 bucks to win 135 on him. And in the main event of the same card, I like Emmanuel Rodriguez to win by KO over Melvin Lopez. Rodriguez is a huge favorite, but the odds have him more likely to win by decision. And, and I disagree with that. Uh, FanDuel has a Rodriguez KO, TKO, or DQ at plus 240. So let's go $50 to win 120 on that result. I love that. Awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure you love it because you know all of these fighters and, and can can attest that I'm on the right side of all these. I think it's it's you know something I know nothing about, so I've got to assume that that you know what you're talking about there and and have it all correct. So I might have to might have to tail that myself. All right. Uh, my last my last bet here with the fake bankroll that I've been generously offered. <laughs> I'm going with a little bit of some bias here, but I'm I'm backing my Detroit Lions week one of NFL season plus six and a half against the Kansas City Chiefs that Thursday night season opener. I think it's minus 102 odds at, at most sports books. So I'll just, I'll do a small one here because of, because of the bias, but I'll do $50 to win just over 49. I think it's $49 and two cents. Um, <laughs> well, I, we're going to, we're going to round it down to 49 <laughs> even for bankroll purposes. <laughs> Fair enough. I think um, this is one where I think Detroit has improved kind of dramatically in the secondary with some off season additions. I think the defense will take a leap forward. The offense, even with Jamison Williams suspended, should be decent like it was last year with offensive coordinator Ben Johnson coming back. And I kind of like the Lions when there's not a ton of pressure. I think last mm-hmm. year, uh, the end of the season, that Sunday night game, when they were eliminated from postseason before the game kicked off, they were able to beat Green Bay and keep Green Bay out of the playoffs. And obviously Aaron Rodgers no longer plays for the Packers. So a big win for the Lions that actually doesn't you know lead to anything, right? There's no banners being hung in Ford field for this, this strikes me as one where the lions keeping it close in week one will be a, a moral victory that never actually leads to anything. So I, I like their chances there and uh, Kansas city. They've been either 500 or worse against the spread each of the last three seasons. Yeah, that's that's the point that I was, uh, the, that I was uh, assuming you would get around to there is that, that as great as the chiefs have been, they really struggle against the spread. They, they win so many close games mm-hmm. and anytime, especially if they're, favored by that sort of like six, seven, eight range. They seem to win by a field goal so often in those kind of games. So uh, yeah, I, I think you're on the right side of this one. I like it. Um, I am going to finish up by combining two ill-advised forms of betting into one bet. Uh, <laughs> preseason football is unpredictable and parlays, you know, we've discussed the sports books hold on those. Uh, I'm combining preseason football and parlays, but it's just a two-legger and I'll keep the bet small. Uh, tonight in Seattle, I like the favored Seahawks on the money line against the Vikings. Seattle has some talented young guys who will get some playing time, like Zach Charbonnet, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. Uh, they're home and thus more likely to care about winning. Uh, and on Saturday, the Ravens, winners of 23 straight preseason games. That is insane. Uh, they're also home. They're taking on an Eagles team that surely doesn't care much at all about winning a preseason game. I love backing this crazy Ravens streak slash trend, but uh, they're like minus 260 on the money line, and I don't want to lay that much, so it makes a little more sense to me to put it in a parlay. Seahawks plus Ravens comes out to plus 116 at BetMGM, and again, I'll keep it small since it is preseason. Let's go $50 to win 58 Ravens in the preseason, about as safe as you can get. Yep, until it isn't. But as long as it is, (laughs) yep, let's ride with it. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to this week's guest, Simon Hunter. You can find me on the website, formerly known as Twitter, at Eric Raskin and Bennett at Bennett Conlin and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, Bennett, you get to do the honors. Please take us out with a parting thought. Thanks so much for having me on. I'll, I'll use my 
final moments here to give a quick shout out to the Pac-12, a football mm. conference that has been hit pretty hard with realignment. So it's a league which typically offers us East Coast fans a nice chance to watch college football long after our significant others have fallen asleep. And it's essentially coming to an end as we know it. We've got USC, UCLA, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Oregon, and Washington all leaving the conference. It's a bummer, but fortunately we do have one season of the Pac-12 after dark left, and I'm looking forward to it. It's this final season here. Four teams have odds of plus 550 or shorter to win the conference title. Six teams have odds of plus 1,200 or shorter to win the league. It should be one of the most competitive conferences in college football. There's potential here for a wild, entertaining, and I would say perfect ending to the conference, which is only slated to have four teams in following seasons. The league, the league's demise is, is terrible, and I hate it, but for the college football betters who enjoy late-night entertainment, there's one last season of a powerful Pac-12, and I encourage everyone to gamble on it.